All right, what the heck's cracking, everybody? Happy Friday, 10, 8, 21, 11, 11 a.m. And, uh, you know, we are out here at 515 Bash, the new apartment in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Um, and, you know, what better thing to do on this beautiful Friday uh, than make a podcast, especially, you know, when we got some pretty pretty insane economic data coming out here. Uh, missing the non-foreign payrolls, we're expecting 194000 got only 500000 and uh, you know the unemployment rate did go down from five point one percent to four point eight, but uh, you know there's a lot of you know interesting things on the horizon in the marketplace that I wanted to discuss. So you know, in uh, last month, it was almost probably a month ago today, I recorded a podcast and I was connected to my Bluetooth speaker. I talked for about forty two minutes and I just ranted, 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 and it didn't get any of my audio. And so to prevent that, you know, I'm going to try to like make this one shorter and sweeter, wrap it up what I want to say quickly now, and, you know, maybe we'll have to do a podcast next week. But what I first want to talk about, the first main idea, is there's turmoil in the marketplace, okay? I mean, look at the S&P 500 here. You know, we are below 50-day, and we're breaking that back lower down towards that 200-day moving average, all right? And you're like, okay, Max, like, why is this such a big deal? Well, also, when you look at the chart, you know, if you're a big technical analysis guy or gal, you're going to notice that we have like a perfect head and shoulders top here. And Todd, you know, got the left shoulder up in, you know, August 15th area, you know, the head, you know, December, you know, you know, 10th area, I'm sorry, not December, September, you know, 10th area. And you got the right shoulder, you know, the 15th of September. And then going back into like the end of September, you see like a breakup going back for this shoulder to break up even higher. And we just know we, we can't break out and we go lower. And, you know, we see what's going playing out right now um, with the market down five basis points today. You know, we just see, you know, the S&P trying to break higher, but it's really, you know, running out of um, steam to do that. And while that's been going on, we look at the rates and interest rates have gone from about one spot one, two, where they bottomed in August to one spot six, so we're at right now. And, you know, that's honestly, you know, I told everyone, I go, I think, you know, there's a collateral shortage. Rates could go lower before they go higher. And, you know, I, I definitely agreed with that idea. But, you know, if you go look at the short end of the curve, short end's been going, you know, lower. And so the short end's gone lower. So what does that mean for the long end? That means, you know, I think this weird phenomenon that you're seeing playing out right now is people don't want to hold the long-term cash. They need their dollars right, 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 right now, which is a sign of inflation. Um, uh, you know, price inflation and, you know, per- losing your purchasing powers in, in dollars. So they're selling the long end and buying the short end. And, you know, that's what we saw in this major run-up in treasuries in the beginning of the year where, you know, the f- one-month bill started off at nine basis points, went down to about one basis points by March. So it went from nine to one. And then the 30-year went from one spot six six to peaking out around like two spot four two of over in March. And what began to explode in March? The reverse repo facility. What is the reverse repo's main job? Main job. It's to provide a floor on interest rates because if the short end goes negative, you break the buck because you know then if these money, the these uh, short term bills that you know I run a business or you know I'm I'm just Max Torres, so I want to put my money, my cash that I have on hand in one month Treasury bills will give me a little yield, but little yield is better than no yield. 
And because, you know, if I want to put it in a 30-year bond, a 20-year, 10-year, you know, the real yield on that is negative. Like, I will, it'll go down in value. But the one month is still positive. But the second short rates go negative, you break the buck. And basically, I'm not incentivized to put my money in the bank and lock it up in short-term treasury bills. Um, and, you know, that's why short-term bills are the safest form of collateral. You know, that's why everyone, you know, needs their needs to have treasury bills to operate uh you know daily operations in the financial markets okay so basically the fed you know sets a new record every day pretty much with the reverse repo i believe well i guess i i have the data up here so i'll pull it up for you but last friday the end of september and usually reverse repo spikes around the end of the quarter um and we saw that on last friday uh let's see yeah last friday here we hit one well last thursday i should say one spot so not one 1.6 trillion of reverse repos okay done with 92 counterparties that's the highest ever with the most amount of counterparties the fed also you know uh i think in the 21st of september let's see yep uh it's 22nd of september they basically raised the overnight reverse repo operations the counterparty limit from 80 billion a day to 160 billion so you can give the fed 80 billion in cash in exchange for you know 80 billion in treasury securities or bills bonds agency mortgage back um so they basically doubled it and so it makes sense why the reverse repo can go even higher but you know, you have to remember, like, why is that happening? And, you know, you go to the repo market, so for banks to, you know, to do some interbank lending and lend out to each other. But, you know, the repo, the overnight repo rate is about 15 bips, okay? So I can get, pay, get paid 15 bips, bips to go lend out in the repo market to other banks. But the reverse repo rate is 0 0.5, 0.05. So 5 versus 15. But the reverse repo is exploding and no one is using the repo. So the whole thing is, is like, why is that happening? Well, there must be counterparty risk in the repo market. So everyone is going to reverse repo. That is a financial systemic risk that people don't understand. And you can see that risks are getting even you know, clearer, even, even like uh, more illuminating when you see a move in the treasury bill market from 10 basis points on the 5th of October down to three. Okay. You go look at... Uh, the, like how we're trading for bills right now, and I'll pull this one up for you, which is, is I mean, it's fascinating to me. We're almost down from, from three basis points in the bills down to one right now. And so what does this show to me? I mean, I'm, I'm seeing that the reverse repo must explode today. It's going to be at least 80 billion higher. And if I'm wrong, then, um, then I probably don't understand it correctly. But I mean, that's why, yeah, one month treasury bill, is it 1.018? So we're already down from 0.03 yesterday at the close. So what is this showing Showing me? It shows me people are getting really, really nervous. You know, what happened two days ago? No, yesterday, I should say. Mitch McConnell decided to, uh, you know, give the you know, temporary short-term funding of the government so we can, uh, like, you know, the government can function up until December 3rd. So instead of defaulting or, you know, potentially defaulting, not raising that debt ceiling by October 18th, we kicked the candle until December. And so when Mitch did that, you know, what did you actually see? You saw the short bill, the one month, go from 0.10 to 0.03, 
and you saw this two month, I believe, yeah, two month actually start to rise because people are getting their money out of those bills when we hit December because you're at risk for default. And if you know you default, your the value of the bond is going to capitulate. Okay, so they're selling those and buying the safest thing you possibly can. And when we thought we were going to default in October, people were actually selling short term the shortest debt, the shortest collateral, shortest bills you could possibly own. And buying up the long end, and it was actually well buying up like you know the two, three, four, five months after that. You know, we actually saw you know inversion in the T curve in the T bill curve. So like for example, we saw like a point oh seven on the one month bill, and then point oh three, point oh three on the uh, two month and three month. Meaning people are really worried about the future, about what's going to happen right now, but they're buying the future because they think everything will be okay down the road. So what I'm trying to say, say like, like this is why this is so worrisome. Well, if everyone starts to go bid up the short end again, the Fed's gonna have to do a lot more with the reverse repo. Number one, number two is we're a lot closer to breaking the book, and that's a threat that I don't think a lot of people are, you know, really worried about. And I think, you know, seeing this, you know, pretty decent run up in in, in rates, it has to, it goes exactly hand in hand with the short end going lower. You know, a month ago in September we were at spot oh seven on the one month build. Now we're at spot oh three. And when we were at spot 07, what was the 30-year bond doing? 1.09, now we're at 2.13. I mean, they're pretty much working hand-in-hand hand here. You know, what was the, sorry, I guess I should use a 10-year because, you know, everyone, everything's priced off a 10-year. The 10-year uh, month ago, we were at uh, 1.03, now we're at 1.58. You know, that's that's pretty much what I'm trying to get at here. And so, you know, what am I trying to say? Like how, you know, there's so much stress in the market. Well, there's two options that pretty much the Fed has. They're with, you know, rock between a hard place. They're either going to have to default on debt, which honestly, in my opinion, you know, yeah, there'd be a lot of pain for people, but the pain would be, would outweigh, um, you know, the, the, the benefits would outweigh the pain down the road because, you know, quality of life would actually probably go up. You know, some institutions would fail. There would be bankruptcies and all that. But then you get this massive wave of growth that comes through within the next 20 to 30 years. And, you know, that's my opinion. You know, deflation actually rewards savers. It doesn't punish savers. Or you can have hyperinflation because of all this money you're going to print. You know, the QE is not that inflationary. Okay, it's inflationary for asset prices, for stocks, for bonds. But if you look at consumer prices, eh, you know, consumer prices since, you know, 2008, you can argue for certain, you know, the CPI is not calculated correctly. Do not get me wrong. It very greatly understates inflation. Do I think that we've had inflation since 2008? Yes. Yes. And, you know, we've lost major purchasing power of the dollar. Therefore, we do have inflation. You can look at Bitcoin. Okay. You can look at the S&P 100. That shows you hyperinflation. Okay. What I'm trying to say here is like you haven't seen the crazy, crazy consumer price inflation in which you're starting to see because what have you had? You've had trillion-dollar spending bills by the government. And fiscal spending is where you get real, real inflation because those are stimulus going out into the real economy, which you can use to bid up goods and services. And that's why the Fed... To, like that's why if we were to have another Biden wants to do a three point five trillion spending plan, that is inflationary. And why is inflation good? Well, it inflates the price of everything so the government can make more tax revenue. Inflation is a tax on the consumer. And you know, government goes, Oh my gosh, we're so worried about, you know, justice and equality, all this stuff. But the whole and I'm not even trying to get political, it's just facts. Okay. And 
Well, if you wrote the purchasing power of things, the people who are the most vulnerable, the most poor, cannot afford to buy their average, everyday goods and services. They won't be able to buy food, okay? Because everything's priced in dollars. So if my dollars are going down in value, the price of crude is going to go up because I need more dollars to buy said good or the price of corn or wheat or soybeans. And so if we were to default, the dollar would actually get super strong for a second because uh, you know, everyone would want their cash right now. Like, oh, I need to go redeem this. And so there'd be a run on the bank, I think. And people would say like, I, I need my dollars. And therefore that's why, you know, during COVID the dollar spike crude collapsed, you know, also because of demand, demand constraints. But that is what I'm seeing. And, you know, part of me says like, yeah, the U.S. is never going to default. They can't. It'll never happen. But I never thought that we would ever, you know, what's the word, uh, you know, lock us down. Like, I thought it was illegal for the U.S. government to say you have to stay at home. You can't go outside. You have to, like, have a vaccine. They haven't done vaccine mandates yet. But, I mean, I go to U of I and, you know, if my buddies aren't vaccinated and, you know, more power to them, honestly. Good for them for not being vaxxed. Um, but... You know, they some of them, they have to go get tested every day, and if they can't, don't get tested, they can't go to class. Like that's messed up. I never, I didn't think that would be able to be possible in the United States, land of the free, home of the brave. But you know, that's my little aside. So it's like, why wanted the government just default? You know, and, and make things better. You know, Janet Yellen's has even advocated for a new Brenton Woods. You know, all this talk on cryptocurrencies. You know, we know the Fed's been researching central bank digital currencies for so long. Well, if they really want to fix a problem um, and, you know, get money into people's hands and, you know, actually go to a new, you know, global standard, global reserve standard, they could implement like a global central bank digital currency thing. And they probably won't do that. And that's a lot of speculation here. But for the bigger picture, what I'm trying to say is they're will they're by doing you don't you can't predict what the government's going to do in 2021. That's what I'm trying to say. And I think it would be foolish to think that the only way, the only outcome that comes out of this debt default is we just, you know, more stimulus and raise the ceiling because that's going to destroy the dollar. It'll people will lose confidence. It'll make inflation get way worse. So what do I think that what do I think could happen? Like, what do I, what do I see on the horizon? Well, the last, the only tool that the Federal Reserve has is they can buy ETFs. They can print money to give to banks and just try to buy ETFs, like the Bank of Japan has done. You know, the Federal Reserve didn't implement quantitative easing up until 2008, right? But when did the, when did the uh, what's it called? When did uh, the BOJ do uh, quantitative easing? They did it all throughout the 90s. And, you know, that was like a unorthodox monetary policy that the United States would never do. But we ended up doing it, okay? Well, the biggest way to support asset prices or make them look good is pretty much for the central bank to start buying them. And I believe that's what like where the Fed will go if, you know, we do by chance default so that asset prices don't just fall out of the sky because that's what would happen because the dollar would skyrocket meaning people are getting their money out of equities putting it into cash calling a short causing a short-term squeeze in the dollar because everyone's short the dollar and then that would cause gold bitcoins equities and everything to pretty much go down in value and that is not what central planners want they want inflation you always have to have inflation and always have to have growth because if you don't have growth, then you get social unrest. And that is what their their biggest fear is. 
And so you go, okay, Max, because I'm trying to wrap this up here. I'm trying to make it, you know, long, collect my ideas. What do I see in the future? What is my portfolio looking like? Well, good thing you asked that. Well, China, in my opinion, has just been, and I've been, we talked about China on this podcast all of March, all of April. Okay. You know, her wrong. It led to her wrong. You saw Evergrande and Evergrande's defaulting now. Okay. And then you have Fantasia, another like another real estate property developer in China. They're defaulting. And so it's like all these dominoes are falling. And people go, oh my gosh, is there contagion? Is there contagion? Well, who owns China debt? Who are the biggest investors in China? Americans, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard. Okay, who owns some of these, com- a lot of equity in these companies? American banks. And so it's like, you're going to tell me there's there's going to be no fallout from that? Yeah, BS. BS is what I say to that. And you've got to think about the pandemic. Where did the pandemic start? It started in China. Their supply chain broke because they shut down. We couldn't get any goods. Then the whole world went haywire. And, you know, China was contracting in February. In January, the U.S. equities didn't sell off till March. It's a China is a leading indicator, my friends, and you have to understand that. Now, let's go to my views on China. You know, I, I recently just bought up Baba shares in Baba for like one forty five a couple like last week, I believe. And you know, people are like, "Don't touch China. There's so much risk." And this is there's no financial advice here. I'm just telling you what I think. This is uh, not financial advice or anything. You know, I just love the markets. I like to talk about it. So why not make a podcast and say everything I want? No, not telling anyone to go buy these names or do anything. Not a financial advisor. Not financial advice. Just loving the markets here. Um, I wouldn't bought China. I got Baba. Never bought my ten cent. But it's like, look. I'm short everything. I'm short bonds. I'm short stocks. I'm short uh, banks and real estate. Okay. And so to to diversify my portfolio, I have to go long or I have too much short exposure. I'm also long gold and I'm also, uh, yeah, long gold. That's it. And I mean, I I buy physical silver for my savings. Um, But my point is, if I'm going to be short everything, look, China's been, China tech is down about 50%. The K web is down in about 60, 70. So, it's like, well, I know Baba intrinsic value is about 300 bucks. They're trading at 160 right now. I would be greedy and I would be a fool if I didn't go out and start buying up these shares. Okay. And gold, gold, the dollar is going to get stronger, my friends, because people freak out and dollars risk off. So what happens when there's risk off? People start selling their stock for dollars. Okay. So then everyone starts getting dollars. And what does that do? Well, that actually causes the dollar to go up in value and that's bad for stocks and so that is why i believe yes we've printed money out of our butt and other and everything's funny money yes but the first stage of that as the dollar goes up in value people realize all these we have too much dollars they're worthless it goes down collapses and then that only paves the way for you know Equities to go down, and that paves the way for gold, Bitcoin, and everything to go parabolic. But you, it's like it comes in phases and processes, and there's a timeline for it. Not everything is going to go your way right at once. So you know you got gold and long short bonds and long gold, and you're like, well, if you're short bonds, long gold, that usually doesn't work together because real yields usually go down and gold goes up with it. And if real yields are going up and gold's going up, that usually does not happen. <laughs> But that's why, you know, it's a hedge to cancel each other out. I actually think that rates are going to start skyrocketing because the U.S. is a sovereign credit risk, which people don't understand. 
because it all starts and ends with the U.S. credit, full faith and credit. Can we pay back our debts? We can't. Therefore, short bonds and, you know, then the dot people are going to start bidding up dollars. Gold will take a hit. But if you're in it for the long run, the snapback on gold will be unreal. You know, the shorts, the short is just self-explanatory. And then the long China is like, these names could take a hit, but they're already down 50%. You know, the biggest drawdown you saw in the NASDAQ tech bubble was about 80, right? So... If we're at 50, we're only going to go down about 30 more percent. I can stomach that loss, you know, you're running a long-term, long-term portfolio here. But, you know, I got class now at 12. I haven't ate, haven't had my cup of coffee, so uh, haven't folded my clothes, haven't really showered or anything. So I'm going to wrap this podcast up. But I, uh, <clears throat> I hope to have another one. Definitely didn't make sense. Definitely is all over the place. But, uh, oh, yeah, and one last thing before I go. The Fed set up a standing repo facility, meaning instead of reverse repo where you give them cash in exchange for treasuries, you actually give them treasuries in exchange for cash. So doing reverse repo is getting rid of all this cash and then all these banks are getting treasuries and overnight or, you know, a couple week purchases, right? Overnight swaps. Well, if the Fed opened up a standing repo facility where each counterparty can do up to $500 billion in asset swaps, um, well, it can take up to $500 billion in asset swaps overnight. What does that tell you? Well, when, when was the last time we had a repo facility? March of 2020, 2008. What does repo do? Pump cash into the system to ease conditions with banks and lending. The consumer credit contracted by $3 billion. We, got 70, we were at $17 billion for consumer credit last month. We went to $14 billion. Okay. I mean, the banks need to have consumer credit growth. The credit growth, credit impulse is actually collapsing. If you have no credit growth, then you can have no economic expansion. So you have to do reverse repo to control the short end of the curve, right? And so by doing that, you're getting treasuries in exchange for cash. But then you're going to have a complete reverse when you, the Fed goes, screw it. There's no cash. Systems are, uh, interest rates are about to skyrocket right now. The financial system is on its stilts. What are we going to do? We're going to start engaging in the repo facility. Give us your treasuries and we'll give you cash. And that'll hold the long end of rates down. <laughs> the long end, not the short end, the long end. Your 30-dated, 30-year bonds. And... We'll see where else they go from there. But that standing repo facility creation, they said they you can't use a standing repo facility. They came out with this thing in July, July 29th, 2021. They said you can't start using it until October 1st, 2021. What's happening? October, possible default. Um, you got China credit collapsing, global credit slowdown. It's like what's all these things are piling up on each other. The Fed is preparing. They see the risks. So they're getting ready to react. What does that mean? The Fed's not going to you know, do anything until you see at least a 15% drawdown in equities. You know, we're about five, four or 5% right now. So I had to make a podcast before we saw a 15% drawdown. I didn't have this on the record. So, you know, if you listen and you listen for the whole time, you know, thank you. I truly appreciate you and I love you guys. I love the markets and, you know, I want to share it with uh, my friends and uh, people who are interested in it. If I sound like an idiot and, you know, you want me to talk to you about something, let's have a conversation, all right? Take care, guys, and, uh, you know, be wary. But, you know, if you know what's going to happen and you're prepared and you're uh, hedged correctly, then no reason to be worried. Have a good one. Take care. Thanks. God bless.